study tonight, Judges chapter 13. We're going to begin studying the life of Samson tonight, and it's going to take us into the next several weeks. So, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the fact that you're after our hearts, that you're a God who's interested in relationship and the life of Samson so colorful. There's so many things for us to learn from, to glean from. We just pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. We pray for a greater understanding of you. We pray for life transformation. God, we thank you for the women that are at the women's retreat, and we pray you would bless them as they, they meet tonight and really encourage them and reveal your son to them. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in Southern Oregon, I was a Portland Trailblazers fan. You maybe have never heard of them, but they are a basketball team there in Portland, Oregon. And there was a draft pick by a guy named Sam Bowie. He was in the 1984 draft. He was the second overall player chosen, and he never lived up to his potential, primarily because of the third guy that was picked in that draft by the name of Michael Jordan who is thought to be the best basketball player in NBA history. And Sam Bowie is an example of Samson. Samson is unfulfilled potential, if you would. He was the number one draft pick. He has a great beginning that we're going to read about tonight. God's hand was upon him in the very womb and this purpose that the Lord had for him. But really what sidetracked him was sin and going into temptation. And I'm sure that you're probably familiar with the the life of Samson and all of the warnings that it gives to us about sin. And we should heed all of those warnings. But what I'm finding as I'm studying the life of Samson afresh is it also teaches us a lot about God. And tonight as we look at the birth of Samson, we're going to look at six things that this story, this narrative tells us about God. And I found them really refreshing and really impacting. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 13. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. If you've been studying with us through the book of Judges, you've seen this cycle over and over again where the children of Israel walk with God, things get good, there's a time of blessing, they drift into idolatry, God turns them over into slavery, they cry out to God, God raises up a deliverer. We've titled the book of Judges, our study of it as I rule, because idolatry really is saying that I'm going to rule my life. It's my needs, it's my wants, I'm going to put myself in the driver's seat. So Israel goes into another one of these states of apostasy. It's the seventh in the book of Judges. God delivers them over to the Philistines. The Philistines are what is currently today Gaza Strip, right on the Mediterranean Sea. They were seafaring people originally from Crete, and Israel has been underneath their bondage now for 40 years. And verse 2 Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So we're introduced to the parents of Samson, and we find very quickly that their point of pain rises to the surface. They've been married for some time, but yet they're barren. They're not able to have kids. And this is an acute pain for those in this room tonight where 
you haven't been able to have children. It's been a desire of your heart, a prayer of your heart. You've cried out to God. God has not chosen to, to give you children. It's a deep pain that some go through in life. And that was the case for Manoah and his wife. Take that pain and then multiply it in a culture where it emphasized having children, where the, the whole thing was wrapped up in womanhood for having kids. And now here you're a woman who can't have children. You're, you're a husband who can't have children. And the first thing that I want you to see about God in this chapter is this. It's number one, God has a plan in the midst of our pain. God has a plan in the midst of our pain. How many years for Manoah and his wife were they thinking, what is this all leading to? What's the purpose in this point of pain? It was going to lead to the birth of Samson, this deliverer that God was going to raise up. But as we walk through our points of pain in our lives, they're very deep, they're valleys, and we don't always see what it's leading to. Especially in this area of having kids at different seasons, it was close to home for my wife and I, and you'd say, well, you never know it. You've got four kids in 13 years. That's pretty good, right? So we had our first two daughters and just went as planned, and we thought, we've got all this under control. You know, you just want to have a kid, and you get pregnant, and if you don't know how you get pregnant, then I'm not going into that, but we were able to figure that out, and we got pregnant, and Praise the Lord. And so we had our first two kids, and then all of a sudden, we had two miscarriages. And it totally just floored us. And I remember when we went to the ultrasound, and I know some of you have had this experience, and you're so excited about the birth of, of your child. And you know that your wife's pregnant, and you're planning things out, and you're thinking how you're, you're making these adjustments in, in your house. And then all of a sudden, they do the ultrasound, and there's no heartbeat. And instead of life being in the womb, there's death in the womb. And pain just filled our hearts. And one memory that's just seared in, in my mind is after we went and had the ultrasound, is we had to get gas. The, the car was needing gas. So kind of a bad time to, to have gas. And it was a, kind of a chilly day, and the wind was blowing, and I didn't bring my, my jacket. And I'm standing there just pumping the gas, weeping over the loss of, of our child. And then we had another, another miscarriage. And then we went through a season where we didn't get pregnant. And we thought, well, we're only going to have two kids. When we were in premarital, that was our plan. We were only going to have two kids. I love doing premarital because everybody's got it so planned out in premarital, right? And we, we were the, the two kids and no more in premarital. But we, we desired to have more, more children, and then God, over time, eventually he gave to us our, our third daughter, Eileen. And her name, Eileen Ann, means God has, has answered. And after her birth, then some close friends of ours also had a baby at the same time. And their child was stillbirth. And their child passed away. And so here I was holding Eileen Ann Joy. And then the same week as the birth of, of my child, we went and did the funeral of really close close friends. And it was during this season that I read this poem. It's also a worship song, and it talks about God's working in the midst of times of pain. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright design and works his sovereign will. 
you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Bind the unbelief as sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it pain. He will make it plain. So God has purpose in pain. And maybe it is in this area of having children that brings acute pain into your life. Maybe it's nothing related to children at all, but you find yourself like Manoah and his wife where you say, I am barren. Where is the fruit? Where is the life? Where is the promise of God? Could there be purpose in pain? Could there be a plan in the midst of the pain? Absolutely. And what do we find? We find that in pain, we get to know Christ in a greater way. Church, there's really only one way to know the depths of the suffering of Christ upon Calvary, and that's to suffer. There's no other way. There's no shortcut in that. Do we want to know Christ? Yes. So that means we're going to suffer to understand his suffering. Also through suffering, we know that our character grows, that we grow in endurance. We grow in perseverance. We would love for our character to grow in easier ways, but there's a depth of our character that can only happen through suffering. And then there's a way that God's glory is displayed. We want to be used by God. We pray on nights like this, God, would you use me? I want to be used for eternity, for things that are going to honor you. And God says, okay, you're going to have to suffer. Because in suffering, the reality of God is seen in our lives. So just like for Manoah and his wife, there is a plan in the suffering. We don't always see the plan. Manoah was able to see the plan eventually. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. There's no promise of being able to see the ultimate plan, but the plan is there. And number three, which is verse three, and the children of, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. I, I wonder what she was thinking when the angel of the Lord appeared to her and told her the first part of this that she already knows. You're barren and have no children. She's like, thanks for reminding me. That's the point of, of pain in my life. But here was the good news. But you shall conceive. You, you shall conceive and you'll, you'll bear a son. Really? Me? I, I'm going to be with child after all of these years of barrenness? And this is point number two about God, is God opens and closes the womb. That's the message here. You have to think about it a little bit longer. But when you stop and you contemplate this, the barrenness, God was closing the womb. Ultimately, God is in charge of life. He's the author of life. And he closes the womb sometimes. He opens the womb other times. And this isn't the only place that we see this in Scripture. There's many incidents where a woman is barren and then God allows her to have children. One of the things I think that's happened to us in our culture is we have really cheapened the value of life, haven't we? We don't see the miracle that happens in conception, the miracle that happens in the womb. And we should because we have more medical technology. We're able to know that the heart 
starts beating in the womb at day 25 after conception. After 25 days of conception, we know we've got a beat of a human heart. After 32 days, we know that there's arms, that there are legs. The science that happens in the womb, it confirms what Psalms 139 says, for you are formed in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb, for you formed me in my mother's womb, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Do you believe this about yourself, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God doesn't make mistakes? Do you believe this about the people that you see When you look at someone sitting on a park bench and they make you uncomfortable because of the way that they look and the way that they're acting and they come from a different demographic or maybe they have a different color of skin or they have a different belief system and your mind's starting to go, that person's scary. I don't know if I should talk to them. I should look the other way. Is there another thought that comes and says they're fearfully and wonderfully made? Their life is valuable to God. There was the miracle that took place for them to be alive. I read in the news this week in Kearns, Utah, a mom had a a brand new baby and she stuck this baby in the trash can to kill kill her child and abandoned this baby. Thankfully, someone heard the baby in the trash can, saved this baby's life, and now this woman is in jail. And, And how does it get to that point? Because we don't believe that God opened and closes the womb. We don't think that there's something special, something miraculous that's happening in the womb. It's not happen chance. It's nothing that we can engineer. It's what God is doing. This is foundational to who we are. The gift of life created in his image. God opens and he closes the womb. Verse 4. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. Verse 5, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. God's going to raise up a judge. He's going to raise up a deliverer, but he wants this young man to be a Nazarite. Now, Nazarite means devoted, consecrated, separated. The whole idea of Samson's life is even while he's in the womb, that his life is to be separated to God. Mom is to not drink any wine, not to drink any alcohol. And then throughout his whole life, he's to take the Nazarite vow from number six, which was no alcohol, even no grapes. You weren't even to have any grapes from the fruit of the vine, nor were you to touch any dead thing. Many people took a Nazarite vow for a small season of a time that was consecrated to God, but Samson's whole life was to be separated unto the Lord. And this is the third point that I find so fascinating because this child's not even conceived yet. This child's not even in the womb yet, and it shows us this, that God has a plan for your life, number three. God has a plan for your life. God had a plan for Samson's life. And I think a casual reading of Judges 13, this is what we'd say, is of course God has a plan for Samson's life, but he doesn't have a plan for my life. And I want to show you from the scripture why that's completely an error. That's completely a falsehood. And you're going to have to take that on with God. And here's why. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this, 
For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You've probably heard Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that you're saved by grace through faith. But verse 10 says, we're his workmanship. In the Greek, that means poema, which is interpreted poem. You're God's poem. You're God's painting. You're his masterpiece. And he's writing your life stanza by stanza. But then as you read closer, he wrote it beforehand, before you were ever saved, before you were ever born. And he says, these are the good works that I want you to walk in. So it's already laid out. This week, there's good works that God has already laid out for us, and all we have to do is walk in them. If you're doubting this, that God does have these kind of purposes for us, Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Far out, think about that. Before I even formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. He knew your life. Everything about it. Knew that you would be saved. Knew that you'd belong to him. Good works prepared for you to be able to walk in. I've sanctified you. I've set you apart. I've ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Do you believe the Lord in this? Do you believe he has a a plan, a purpose, good works for you to be able to walk in? I tend to think we believe this about guys like Billy Graham. Oh yeah, the Lord had a a plan for his life. Absolutely. Steve and Gail that are missionaries over in Gulu, Uganda. Oh, God had a, a plan for their life. But God doesn't have a plan for my life because I'm an accountant for this secular company. I work for waste management. And I pick up trash. And we think that the only way that God is to have a plan for our lives is for us to be a staff at a church, be a missionary, work at Compassion International, or focus on the family. And if we don't fit into one of those, then God didn't have a plan for my life. That's hogwash. Flush that down the toilet. Ministry is all around you. Good works are all around you. And yes, working at a church is a ministry, and it focuses on the family is a ministry. But so is waste management. And so is being an accountant. And so is being a a school teacher and a stay-at-home mom and a mechanic. Wherever God has you, this isn't about vocation. Ministry isn't vocation. Ministry isn't profession. Ministry is good works. Saying, God, you have prepared this for me. And we see the heart of God's good works in the call upon Samson is God wanted to bring deliverance. Do you believe God wants to bring deliverance in the lives of people? Absolutely in the street that you live on, where you work, at the Starbucks that you go to, where you buy your groceries, God wants to do that work of deliverance. And it happens as we walk inside of his call. In verse six, so the woman came and told her husband saying, a man of God came to me and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I didn't ask him where he was from and he didn't tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. 
What was this like for Manoah when he heard these words? I'm sure he wanted to be a dad. He knew the desire of his wife to, to be a mom. They'd probably seen a lot of friends that they'd grown up with have kids. They were probably the best aunt and uncle on the block. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, this is incredible. We're, we're wonderful at being an aunt and uncle. Maybe they were great at teaching Sunday school. And What? You saw a guy that looks like the angel of God? And he said, you're going you're gonna to conceive? If I were Manoah, I might be going, this, this could be too good to be true. I don't want to get my hopes up. We've gone to the doctor, and the doctor told us that there's no reason we shouldn't be able to have kids. Everybody's told me, oh, it's going to happen, happen with time. And here we are, we're, we're still, still barren. I'm sure excitement, but doubt, all kinds of emotion. But notice what he does. It's very wise in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we should do for the child who will be born. He prayed. He cried out to the Lord, asking God's guidance, and we see faith in his prayer, don't we? He's believing. He's trusting that an angel had spoke to his wife. We are going to have a child. His question is, how am I going to raise this child? And to teach this child the things of God, Show us. This is a great prayer for any parent. And it never stops, does it? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I do this? This is a job that's so, so beyond me. Would you give me instruction? A lot of times when I talk with parents who are already raised their kids, I'll ask them questions. You know, what did you do? And give me some keys and all those kinds of things. There's a man in our fellowship and he, he raised four daughters and the four daughters are in, in adulthood and now he's probably in his early 80s and I was picking his brain and I was thinking, he's going to have a great answer for me. He raised four daughters. He's got to just, I'm, I've got my notepad ready. I'm, give it to me. Lay it on me. And he looked at me and said, Eric, pray and pray hard, right? <laughs> and we're looking for some system, aren't we? We're looking for, I got to have this answer of exactly how to be able to do this. Get all the wisdom you can from all the godly sources. But first and foremost, do what Manoah did and pray. Say, God, you know these kids. You know the plan that you have for their lives. Would you show me how to parent them? In verse 9, And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again, and she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Please underline, God listened to the voice of Manoah, Point number four is God hears your prayers. This tells us something about God. God listens. He listens. He listens to our prayers. Do we believe this about God? Do we believe that he's listening to us? And maybe you say, I'm not really sure. I've been praying about this particular thing and God hasn't answered. Let's think about that for a moment. What are some ways that God may answer? Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he's silent. But we know he's listening. And he's responding to our prayers in his sovereign will with his plan that's absolutely best for our situation. I was challenged with this thought. If I really believe that God listens to my prayers, how would that affect my prayer life? How would that affect me leaving this evening going, God, you hear me and you respond. What we find here in Judges 13 is the promise has already been given. The promise would be fulfilled. 
if Manoah prayed or he didn't pray, but because he prayed, Manoah's going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. He's going to have a deeper revelation of who God is. What's on your heart tonight? What are some things that you need to bring before the throne of God? God hears our prayers. In verse 10, then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. At what pace do you think they tried to get back to the man in the field? Probably running with all, all get out. I picture Birkenstocks kind of falling off and, you know, <laughs> trying to have to pick up their long gowns because they didn't wear jeans and all those kind of things. Or maybe they just said, forget it with the sandals. We're going to get there as fast as we could. But notice that Manoah arose. I mean, he's, he's fast on it. He wants to go and find this man and his wife follows When he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So we don't see him doubting this promise that there would would be a child. He wants to know the boy's role in life and what's his work that he's going to do. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. He emphasizes the importance of being set apart. Verse 15, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. So this is a little teaser here. He's saying, you can't give this to me because it belongs to the Lord. But then in the next moment, the angel of the Lord receives this burnt offering, showing us that this is indeed Christ stepping onto the pages of the Old Testament. Similar with Gideon coming in the form of the angel of the Lord. He has an encounter with Jesus. In verse 17, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? And when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? (laughs) Ring a bell? Who's called wonderful? Jesus. Isaiah 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I hope you know this about Jesus, that he's just full-on wonderful. You look at his miracles in the Gospels, it's wonderful. The way he loved people, touched people, allowed the children to come to him. As you read the Gospels, he's the kind of guy that you want to be around. He's God. He calmed the storm. He died on the cross for us. He rose again. There's an aspect of Jesus where he's fearful or we tremble before him, but yet we're also able to run to him in his grace. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see him? To enter into his embrace. He's wonderful. Look at what happens in the next few verses. The angel of the Lord proves that he's wonderful by doing something wonderful. So Monoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened 
as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, they knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So here they are offering this goat, this burnt offering, and the angel of the Lord goes into the flames and boom, is gone and the goat is consumed. The offering is consumed. So here the angel's saying, only God can receive the offering. Then he receives the offering and disappears in the flame, proving that he indeed is God. So here's point number five, is God delights in revealing himself. God delights in it. I think of Saul who became Paul as he's riding in to persecute Christians. God calls him by name, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Like chance of sharing, being the eighth grade boy, junior high boy, at a retreat, God revealed himself to him. I think of my own testimony and God revealing himself to me. God never stops. This is what he longs to do for us, even as believers tonight, to reveal more of his character and his nature, his heart to us. And so Manoah and his wife have this wonderful privilege of allowing Christ to be revealed to them. Church, this is the heartbeat of Rocky Mountain Calvary. This is our prayer if we want Jesus to be magnified. We want to know more of Christ a year from now. As we continue in life, as we enter towards death or the rapture, we want to know more of Jesus. Because when we see more of Jesus and Christ is magnified, when we see how wonderful he is, everything else comes into balance. Everything else comes into alignment. If we focus on anything else, we're going to miss it. You can focus on different aspects of the Christian life that are good, but if it's not magnified in Jesus, something's going to be missing. Like you could focus on marriage, and you could say, I want to have a good marriage. That's a great thing to aspire to. But if you're not focused on Christ, you're never going to have the marriage that God intended because it's an overflow of Jesus being magnified in your life. You know how God creates an awesome marriage? By two people that are in love with Jesus. You can say, you know, I want to have tremendous fellowship. I want to have tremendous community. And that's wonderful, and we should aspire to that. But if that doesn't come out of Jesus being magnified, something's going to be missing. Something's going to be out of balance. Those friends in that community are going to take the place of Jesus Christ in your life. You're not going to love and care in the way that God intended unless Jesus is magnified. Even Bible study, something could be missing We can be studying the word, and if Christ isn't magnified, we walk out in pride. We walk out saying, I know the book of Judges. I can teach the book of Romans. My children have memorized a bunch of verses. So what if we don't know Jesus in a greater way? Amen? This is the longing of our heart. It's our prayer. It's our focus is to see Christ in a greater way. In verse 22, And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Men, aren't we so thankful for our wives? You know, here Manoah's come over dead. We've seen the angel of the Lord. We've seen the face of God, not not the Father, but Christ revealed in the angel of the Lord. And the wife stops and says, no, let's think about this a little bit more. 
If God wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the offering. If God wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have promised us these things to come in the future. Amber's up at the women's retreat uh, this weekend, and my parents came down, and my uncle, and we had a great day, and you know, my, my dad says, hey, Eric, I, I bought a new chainsaw. And it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. It was on a pole, on, on a pole, and at the end of it was a chainsaw. And my mom took the three girls out to a movie. So it was just my uncle and I, my dad, and my son Wyatt with a chainsaw. And it was great, <laughs> connected to, to a pole, you know? I was like, Amber would love this. You know, she, she's always nervous about me with a chainsaw. So I took a picture of the chainsaw and texted it to her. And she texted back and said, this had to be an invention when women aren't around. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some truth to that, right? Like, I'm sure some woman wasn't like, I'm going to get a 10-foot pole and connect a chainsaw to it and go and cut, cut limbs down. You know, we need the logic of our wives to say, hey, you need to be careful with that. And here, Manoah gets that from, from his wives. So verse 24, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move Upon him at Maneah, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtolah. This is point number six, is God's work is done through God's spirit. God's spirit began to move upon Samson. As we will study the life of Samson, you may think that Samson was this huge buff guy. The kind of guys that, that live at 24-hour fitness and villa sports. He's just this huge buff bulk, beefy of a man. But most likely, he had a build that was more like me. Skinny, scrawny, turned sideways. Where'd he go? He's gone. (laughs) Because he didn't seem, as we'll read judges, to have this amazing and impressive physique. It was the Spirit of God that came upon him and gave him the strength. If you go back and you study the great awakenings that took place in America in the 1800s and then the early 1900s, it was a work of the Spirit. It was a move of of God's Spirit. And as we look at the book of Judges and we try to apply it to our lives and the time that we live in, I found myself reading verse 24 and praying, God, would you send your Holy Spirit? Would you cause your Holy Spirit to move? It's not gonna be personalities. It's not gonna be strategies. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. And throughout church history and in the book of Acts, we see real work, real traction, real change, real transformation happen when the Spirit of God begins to move and stir in the lives of individuals. What we're up against in our own hearts and in our culture and our society cannot be solved by man. It can only be solved by God. And this is where I found myself going in prayer is I believe that the Spirit's already moving. We don't necessarily need to ask that the Spirit would move. The Spirit's been given, and the Spirit's moving, and the Spirit's doing His job to point people to Jesus Christ. The bigger question is, God, will I yield to the move of your Spirit? Will I follow what the Spirit is doing? And for us to begin to say, God, I know your Spirit's on the move. I know that you're wanting to bring people unto Christ, but am I in tune with the Spirit? Am I walking in the Spirit? 
Am I allowing the Spirit to convict me of sin? Am, am I allowing the Spirit to move me to steps of faith? See if you follow this line of thinking for just a moment. We know from the Bible that ultimately all of time will wrap up. That this earth will burn up. There will become a final judgment for this earth. If we are getting closer to that time, which is very possible, because you look at the signs of the times in Scripture, God says, when you start to see these things happen, you know that the end is near. We know without a shadow of a doubt that we're closer than anybody before, right? Because we are the present generation. So doesn't it make sense that God would be pouring out his spirit to bring people unto himself? And also, when you study great awakenings and revivals that have taken place, it always happens with a, a dark backdrop. Spiritually, there's deadness. Spiritually, there's compromise. That's why there needs to, to be a, an awakening. And that's what I'm praying for, and that's what I'm longing for. And I believe that God desires to do that in our community and throughout the world. So here's a few thoughts of application. is Trust God's hand in the midst of pain. Trust it. Like Manoah, if you find yourself, him and his wife, in a barren season, trust it. God's hand is there. It's the hand that died for you upon the cross. Please, see the value of every human life. God opens and closes the womb. There's no accident. It's his hand that's upon every human life. See the value of human life. And then lay firm hold of the plan that God has for your life. You're not going to have all the details. I'm not going to have all the details. But believe it and try to walk in it on a daily basis. God, you've got good works for tonight. You've got good works for tomorrow morning. You've got good works for Monday. Why are we so much happier on the weekends? Our culture, we work all week just to have the weekend. The three-day weekend was wonderful, but Tuesday was so depressing, wasn't it? Like, I gotta go back to work, you know? Worst of all, you had to work on Labor Day. Why is that? What if we saw work as a mission field? What if we saw the value of the people and the kingdom of God in the midst of what we do on a daily basis? Lay firm hold of God's plan on your life and then pray God is listening very simple pray God is listening look for Christ to reveal himself look for him to jump into the fire and to consume the the burnt offering and then finally let's yield ourselves to the moving of the Holy Spirit say okay God I want to surrender and walk in obedience to where your spirit is moving would you stand with me